Good afternoon. Happy Wednesday. Happy holidays. Sickos, friends, family members, everyone tuning in is the Stack in the Box College Football Show Week Zero Edition. Real games we're talking here. I'm your host, Reed Wallach. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach. Joined today by Cody Williams at the Sizzle 20. Cody, what's up, man? How's it going? I'm feeling extremely sick. Might have to take a sick day because all the sicko just <laughs> juice is flowing through my body right now. Week zero is here. I mean, there's no better time just because we're all pining for college football. And now we finally get like the worst slate of games of the season. But no one cares because it's just it's college football. It, this is like somewhat of a complaint for me. My least favorite people on social media are the people that will say, like, I guess, like, more, like, NFL heads that, like, are talking trash about college football, and they'll be like, oh, look at how crappy this week zero slate is. Like, there's no marquee matchups. Like, dude, A, you're watching person tweeting this, talking bad about it, and B, this is going to be, like, the best slate of games ever. This is going to be beautiful. We got UMass, New Mexico State. We got Conference USA Conference play on a week zero. Like, I listen, let's slow our roll with how bad this slate is. This is a beautiful hodgepodge of college football games. Absolutely. And these are the same people that are watching four quarters of NFL preseason, which might as well be the week zero slate by the time you get the fourth stringers on a 90 man roster in the game. I agree. Like let's settle down here. We, we, we don't yuck anyone's yums when it comes to sports watching people watch whatever it is people, you know, whatever it is to them, let it be. So enough with the complaining about this week zero slate. I love it. I think this is beautiful. And most importantly, I think we're going to make some money. On it, most importantly. So this is how today's show is going to go. We're going to talk a little big picture quarterback competitions with arguably the top three teams in the entire country. Georgia named their starting quarterback. Alabama still hasn't named their starting quarterback. And Ohio State looks like they've decided that they're not going to decide just yet. Um, so we're going to talk those three quarterback battles. And then we're going to go through all seven games on the week zero slate. We're going to give you bets for all of them. But before we get to the bets, let me tell you about this DraftKings offer for DraftKings new customers. All you have to do is sign up with the code STB, stands for Stack in the Box, this beautiful program. All you have to do is use the code STB, bet $5 on any sport, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Again, all you have to do is sign up with DraftKings using the promo code STB, bet $5 on any sport, you get $200 in bonus bets instantly. This offer is available for new customers who are 21 plus and physically in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. All right, Cody, let's talk some quarterback battles here. I'm going to start with the two-time defending national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. Had a quarterback competition this spring between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. I always thought it was going to be Carson Beck. Bit of a bigger arm bit more, I'd say, upside to this Georgia offense downfield. Kirby Smart announced that Carson Beck is going to be the starter. Cody, any thoughts? Does this change your opinion of the Bulldogs, positive or negative? Any any takeaways from Carson Beck being officially named the starter of the Georgia Bulldogs this season? I, I'm with you. I never expected anything different. Like I thought mm-hmm. any you know competition was really overblown, more or less. Like uh, Georgia and Kirby Smart have been a program where they kind of rely on the guy who's has a little experience in the program. Like we saw that with Stetson Bennett last year. Like we know Stetson Bennett is not a world beater in terms of athletic or tool athleticism or tools. And he won two national championships with them. And the key factor with Georgia is always going to be that whoever they have at quarterback, they have 
you know, a litany of five stars and five stars behind them that are, can come in and uh, help them out on offense and defense. But like you said, Carson Beck, he has a big arm. We saw it in the flashes that he played last year. Like the Georgia's downfield passing attack was almost better when Carson Beck came in in garbage time last year. Granted, it's garbage time, but like it's going to add a new element to the offense, I think. The, my biggest question has always been what Mike Bobo's offense looks like at, at replacing Todd Monken. Um, do you think that's probably the bigger factor, Reed, or do you think that the quarterback is a, a big deal? I think – uh, first of all, of course, there's going to be some sort of drop off from Todd Munkin's offense to Mike Bobo's. But Bobo's been with the Georgia program before. We're talking a few years ago. He left. He came back. He was with the program last year. I'm just not sure. I think it might be business as usual for this Georgia offense. And you mentioned the downfield passing. Maybe this Georgia offense. I, first of all, they're always going to be somewhat explosive. But I don't think that they're going to be chucking the ball downfield like we we've seen other whether it's Alabama or even you know LSU, Texas, kind of chucking the ball down the field. Georgia's been more based around the run game. They're going to pound you, and then it's going to open up downfield shots later in the game. Maybe with Carson Beck's arm strength, they're going to see Georgia try and take the top off the offense a little bit more. Maybe that leads to a few more turnovers and mistakes. So maybe Georgia's looking now to maybe be in a few more shootouts. Maybe there's a few more turnovers where set up the defense in disadvantageous situations because Carson Beck maybe not as comfortable with like a, uh, the offense like Stetson Bennett was, who was – he was kind of cool, hand the ball off. He's going to take what the defense gives to him. Maybe Beck's going to try and kind of force the issue a little bit more. And, again, that could go both ways, right? Like, okay, this offense might be putting up 40 with ease a little bit more with some downfield shots, you know, McConkie downfield, Brock Bowers breaking tackles left and right. But also maybe there's a few more turnovers and maybe Georgia's in a bit more precarious situations if they're not on their A game. So – I think this was always going to be the plan. I think it makes a lot of sense. I saw people were talking Carson Beck as a potential, you know, fringe first round day two draft pick. I guess they like the upside more with Carson Beck. And I, I see the same way when you're comparing it to Stetson Bennett. So I, I personally, I think this is going to be a good thing for the Georgia offense. I agree. They are the favorite few questions, of course, because Beck hasn't had a full season under his belt, but I, I like, the move with Beck, I think it eases some concerns and we'll see this Georgia offense maybe show a bit of a side that we haven't seen. I mean, you look at last year's offense just really quickly before we move on to the other two teams. They were 124th in explosive pass rate last season. They really did not force the issue downfield. I think you're going to see that number go up quite a bit. Cody, Alabama. We still don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Last I checked this morning, I have not seen it come through. It appears it's still going to be a three-man race between Jalen Milrow, who got some time last year, Notre Dame transfer Ty Buckner. Remember, Tommy Reese is from Notre Dame is the new offensive coordinator, so Buckner came with him, and then freshman Ty Simpson. These are the three going for it. Cody, I'll ask, you, I'll phrase it this way: Who do you want? Let's say you want the best for Alabama. You want Alabama to win the national championship. You're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Who do you want starting at quarterback? Uh, can I say Dylan Lonergan, who wasn't mentioned in that QB battle? Because not I think that's probably my answer. Not mentioned, but did receive probably the most positive reviews from uh, Alabama's last scrimmage. He did. He, he seems like there's a lot of hype. I don't think he's actually in the mix for the job, though. No, he's not. I think, I mean, personally, I believe he might give them the most upside because I think he has the most upside because of the unknown factor. But in, mm-hmm. out of the three who are actually vying for the position, uh, for the starting job, I think you have to go with Milrow. I think 
honestly, him and Buckner remind me similarly of each other because they both have a little bit of dual threat ability, but I think Milrow's more explosive with that dual threat ability. Ty Simpson's more of a pocket passer, and I don't think that's what this Alabama offense needs, personally. Like, there's, I mean, you know, they've improved the wide receiver depth at Alabama, but I'm still not, it still isn't like, you know, the Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs group that we saw a few years ago. Like, they don't have the same level and caliber of pass catchers that they had at once. I think that this Alabama team is going to be predicated kind of like on what we saw in the early 2010s with, you know, a stout run game behind a brutally and uh, monstrous offensive line and then a great defense. And I think if you added a rushing quarterback with Milrow to that, I think that's going to make the offense even more dangerous. Um, I, I'm not sold on Milrow as a passer, but I don't, obviously they're not sold on any of these guys as a passer or else we'd have a starter named already. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with you. I was going to say Jalen, Jalen Milrow strictly because I think with Tommy Reese there, you're going to want to see Alabama try and establish the run game a little bit more. They're not, none of these guys figure to beat elite passers right away. I'm talking right away, like the Ty Simpson type, if they go that route. I think Milrow gets first crack. He has a little bit more experience in the Crimson Tide program. And you look at Tommy Reese's offense last year, injuries uh, were robust with the Notre Dame quarterback room last year. But yes, so maybe this factored into it, but Notre Dame over the past several years has been a run first offense. You look at last year, top 15th highest rush rate last season in terms of carries per game. So with Milrow, uh, McClannon, Sanders, these guys, Alabama might really try and play some keep away, play the possession game a little bit more. First of all, Milrow is an explosive runner. We saw him tear it up against Arkansas. I believe it was the second half. He had like a 65-yard run. He had a rushing touchdown. So I think Milrow could kind of be the way, you know, maybe different quarterbacks lead to different paths that Alabama's going to take this season. I don't think Alabama's on the same caliber as Georgia this year. You could argue they're not on the same caliber as Michigan this year. Maybe it's a step back for this team, and maybe they really need to kind of pride themselves on the defense and trying to play more ball control with a rush-first offense. And I think Milrow is the best case for that. So I like to see that we see eye to eye. Ohio State, Ryan Day still hasn't announced a quarterback. It's between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord. Brown, the veteran. McCord, the more heralded prospect. I saw reports that's probably leaning towards Devin Brown, but it also looks like with Ohio's pretty easy schedule early on, both guys are going to get a crack at it. It's similar to you know Michigan last year when Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy got cracks. Cody, any thoughts here on the Ohio State? Um, well, I say quarterback battle. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty bad sign for Kyle McCord that he can't come to this offense with the best wide receiver group in the country. Who he played high school football with Marvin Harrison Jr., so he has a built-in yeah. rapport with him, the best wide receiver in the country, possibly in a long time that we've seen in college football. And he can't win the starting job. I understand Devin Brown has a little more experience, but. I like for a heralded prospect, that's kind of troubling, especially in Ryan Day's offense, which is so quarterback friendly. But I think that gets to my larger point, which I'm not actually like that worried about like what's going to happen at quarterback with these two. They're going to figure it out with an easy early schedule. Ryan Day's offense is pretty much foolproof. Like we've seen guys who weren't necessarily NFL prospect or high end NFL prospects get drafted highly because of the numbers and the production they were able to put up in this offense. I'm not including CJ Stroud in that to be very clear, but you know, um, we've just seen wild productivity from quarterbacks in this offense. So I'm not particularly worried about it. I mean, you have a safety valve in the fact that 
you have first round caliber wide receivers anywhere you look on that roster. And so I, I don't think it's going to be, we're not going to see a world beater from either of these guys, but I do think that the offense is going to be fine. Offense will be fine. They open with Indiana, Youngstown state, Western Kentucky. That's their first real trip. Uh, first real test with a trip to South Bend against Notre Dame, who we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes. I, I have questioned all offseason the ceiling of this Ohio State team, and I think that this quarterback competition still not being decided mm-hmm. kind of shows that I have I'm rightfully concerned of the ceiling. Listen, Ohio State, fantastic team. They're going to be top five, top ten all season long. But to win, you know, beat Penn State, in my opinion win at Michigan, win two playoff games. If we're talking about a national title contender, and this is a team with the third shortest odds to win the national mm-hmm. championship still, I think it's fair to question a ceiling this year with the quarterback play. So to be determined, definitely something to keep an eye on when we're talking next week, week one at Indiana, bad team favored by four touchdown. But Ohio State, you're probably going to see both these guys really try and make an impression in Bloomington. Good stuff I do on the think or, go finish. I, I have one more thing to add. I also think one thing that might be playing into like the lean towards David Brown as at this point is he has a little more mobility than McCord from what I've seen and what I've read. And um, this offensive line is going through a lot of turnover. And so if they're on, I think that is actually my biggest concern is that maybe there's some worries about the offensive line. So they're going with a more mobile quarterback to can kind of create with his legs a little bit more in this offense. But I think that goes with what you're saying with the ceiling. Like I've also been worried about the ceiling. I think we both agreed that Penn State is real live to actually like upend Ohio State and be the actual contender to take uh, to take the big be an actual contender to take down or to take the Big Ten from Michigan and Ohio State. And so I like we like we said last week. You know, Penn State's more on par with these teams than some people seem to realize. And I think that's one of the big reasons why is that in the trenches where Big Ten football is very much won and lost a lot of the time. We've seen it with Michigan, Ohio State the past couple of years. Um, the fact that Ohio State has seemingly, if you read between the lines, some offensive line concerns, that worries me a little bit. 100%. Let's move on. Let's talk some week zero football. Let's break down some real games here. We start in Ireland, Notre Dame, Navy. They renew pleasantries in Dublin. Notre Dame, Lay in. I want to give an updated betting market here. Notre Dame is laying. You can find a 21 at DraftKings right now. Remember, new users at DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the code SCB. Bet $5. Get $200 instantly in free bets. Insane deal. So we got Notre Dame laying 21. Total has ticked down today. Total now sitting around 49 and a half. Cody. How do you see this going? There's a lot of new pieces in here. Sam Hartman is in for the Irish Navy, new head coach, new offensive coordinator. How do you see it all playing out in Dublin? Uh, So I think that I think Sam Hartman is a very talented. I think he's been underrated for that Wake Forest program because Wake Forest hasn't had a ton of talent. And I think getting him around more talent in South Bend, well, Ireland this week. But, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's going to be really good to showcase his skills. Uh, But I do think that we're going to see a little bit of Growing pains. Not only do you have to travel to Ireland, which I think people kind of underrate in these types of matchups where there's like obscene travel, like, you know, from South Bend to Ireland. Um, I think that we're going to see, you know, kind of these teams both kind of being slow getting off the bus. And they're also like both teams are changing offenses. Like Tommy Reese is gone. 
and Ken Newman, I can't pronounce his last name, the old Navy head coach, uh, is now also gone. And so I think we're going to see this game being kind of slow moving. I looked towards the under, but the fact that it was ticking down kind of didn't help me make that pick. So I'm going with Navy to cover the spread at plus 21, especially getting that plus 21 instead of 20 and a half, which is where it was earlier in the week. Uh, I think giving them three touchdowns for a team that is going to not exclusively run the triple option, but still run the ball a lot. And with the new clock rules in college football, that's another big thing that I think I'm kind of looking at early in the season is uh, in case people don't realize the clock's not going to stop after first downs, except in the last two minutes of each half. And so when you're not stopping the clock with a, high high level run attack rushing attack and Notre Dame's also still going to run the ball as they kind of work Hartman in I think that three touchdowns is a pretty large spread for a new offense to Notre Dame for Notre a new offense at Notre Dame to cover 100% completely agree I also took the three scores with Navy you look at last year's game 35 32 Notre Dame Notre Dame didn't score in the second half of that game they got off to a really really hot start really took apart this Navy secondary Scored, third, like I said, 35 points. Drew Pine, backup quarterback who started in that game. I think he went like 17 for 21 for 270 yards and four touchdowns. But Notre Dame's defense could not stop Navy. Navy was in that game until the very end. It was a very competitive game. You talk about the total ticking down. There is some rain in the forecast for Dublin. This is a night game. So maybe the weather doesn't do any favors getting Irish. And I also think situationally, you look at the schedule. Notre Dame does not get a bye until October. They're going across the country. They do play Tennessee State next week, so it is a pseudo-bye week. But I wonder if Notre Dame is really going to try and push the pace here, really try and blow this team out with a really loaded schedule. If they go up 17 or even up two scores with about a few minutes left, I don't know if Notre Dame is really running and gunning to get that extra score. I think that they may want to sit on this one and get out of Dublin with a win. Navy. Returns more than two-thirds of production on a defense that was top 10 in rushing success rate. I think new offense coordinator Jared Parker is going to try and enforce the run. Hartman transitioning schemes from that slow mesh mm-hmm. pass happy offense to a run first offense. I think it's going to be a huge change here. And last year's game closed with a total or closed with a spread at like 16 and a half, 17. It was on a pseudo, it wasn't in Annapolis, it was in Maryland, pseudo neutral field. But now you're going across the country and you're still seeing a huge boost in rating. And I think why is because, of the, like you said, coaching chains, Ken Numatolo is gone. I don't know if there's that big of a drop off, though. Comes as the new head coach, Chestnut as the offensive coordinator, really going to, I think, increase offense from Kennesaw State. He's familiar with the triple option scheme. I think maybe being underrated here, I'm going to take the 21 with Navy. So there, let's keep it moving though. Let's talk UTEP Jacksonville state. We spoke about the Gamecocks last week in our week zero futures preview, Cody conference USA play here. We got a five thirty kick. How do you see UTEP Jacksonville state? Uh, we're big Cusa heads over here. Um, I really like the under in this game. It's at the totals at 54 on DraftKings. I'm going under that. I mean, these teams, they both want to run the ball. And I think they both should have success. But I think we've seen – it's obviously, they're not option attacks. But, like, uh, you mentioned your boy Zion last week for Jacksonville State. I think he's going to be taking off with his legs a lot 
Um, and that's just going to keep the clock moving. I think this is another play. One thing I'm testing out early in the season is playing more unders than I probably would normally because of the clock rules. And when these teams are running the ball consistently and constantly, and I think that's the best way to attack both of these defenses, and I think it's what both these offenses want to do in this game. Um, I think that the under 54, I think, is just where my eyes gravitates towards because I just don't think there's going to be that many possessions and scoring opportunities, and I don't think that either of these offenses are completely good enough to hit the over 54 in this game. Yeah, I'm going to – we have our first little uh, head-to-head here because I'm going to go Let's over. Go. This one's been ticking up all week, and I agree with the move. I'm able to find at Caesars of 53.5 DraftKings. Again, don't forget about that code STB, $5, $200 in bonus bets. Cody was able to get under 54. I'll go over 53.5. We'll play best available for everyone. Just keep keep it a level playing field. You look at Jacksonville State. I think that this team wants to play fast. They return a lot of production. Of course, we mentioned Zion Webb. We got Malik Jackson, a burner from you from Louisiana Monroe also. And you look at where you could take advantage of this UTEP defense. It's the explosive plays. Yeah, this would team out to the top 100 in explosive play rate. I think that you're going to be able to take the top off of them. You look at the other way. UTEP's offense, not great down to down, out to the top 100 in success rate but 22nd explosive pass rate. So I think that both teams are going to be looking to hit chunk plays over the top, take the top off the defense. I just think that this is a game where you could see both teams get into the high 20s, mid 30s, rather than lower 20s. I think you're going to see both teams willing to run, willing to play fast and willing to take the top off the offense or off the defense. And also I think Rich Rod, First game back on the FBS level. I think he has a few tricks up his sleeve. So I think both offense is going to hit a few big plays. I'll go over. Cody's going under. So we have our first little head-to-head. I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Um, maybe maybe first of many, first of few. We'll see how it goes. I didn't factor in the Rich Rod factor in that. That's got me actually worried about my pick now. Because <laughs> Rich Rod, man, that man's a showman. And uh, he's definitely going to flash a little something-something in his first game back in the FBS. Also, just a note, UTEP, a lot of new uh, transfers coming in. I saw a note, 25 JUCO transfers. So maybe needs a little bit of tinkering, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe with Rich Rod's offenses, again, offense returning a lot of production. That was top 10 in FCS scoring last year. I mentioned last week, Zion Webb, double-digit rushing touchdowns last year. Around the goal line, he's going to be able to score. So I like the over there. I think this is the pseudo sickos pick of the week. I don't know. We didn't, we don't have a because this is like the sicko week in general. But to me, this is the sickest game on the board. It's UMass 100%. New Mexico. UMass New Mexico State. New Mexico State's been laying over a touchdown all summer, but this week game week has ticked down inside of a touchdown. So current betting market, we have UMass catching six and a half in Las Cruces. Uh, six and a half total of forty five. Cody. First of all, you're from New Mexico. So are you from the Las Cruces area? Can we see you in the building on Saturday? No, I'm actually Las Cruces is actually like four hours away from me. So I will you not be the in trip. the building. You can oh, make I mean, the trip. I could. I could. But I mean, <laughs> driving four hours to watch this game, that's a sicko behavior that I'm not even sure I can condone. That's a that's a tough scene. Um, but you mentioned that it takes under a touchdown. I'm thankful for that. And I'm taking uh, the Aggies minus six and a half uh, available. That's what the line is at DraftKings. Um, 
I think that the U, I think UMass is actually going to be better than they were last year. That is yep. an extremely low bar. Uh, the Minutemen <laughs> have been one of the uh, worst FBS programs. Why they're an FBS program, not entirely sure. They can't be raking in the cash. Um, but what we've seen from Jerry Kill and what we saw last year where New Mexico State surprised a lot of people, made a bowl game, um, is Jerry Kill is going to pound you into submission. And it's the ground game, and it's uh, and he's just going to win in the trenches. And I don't think, even though I think UMass has improved at a lot of areas, I don't think that they're set up to – handle that type of game also fun fact about las cruces it's like right next to the new it's right next to the mexico new mexico border that's it's gonna be hot i don't care if they're playing in the evening i'm living in new mexico trust me it gets hot during the days here and it stays hot for quite a while i have a slow pitch softball game tonight i'm not looking forward to it like it's gonna be bad um and you know coming up from the coming down from the northeast that's a long trip i think catching less than a touchdown i've got to go with the home team and the you know jerry kills ground and pound approach Cody, uh, he's bringing an extra T-shirt to softball tonight. Um, I <laughs> I don't I don't hate taking the Aggies. I went a different way though. I think you mentioned you think UMass going to be a little bit better. I agree with you. Listen, this team was arguably the worst in the FBS last year, but I do think year two of Don Brown. I think things are looking up. I went for the over at forty five. Both of these spreads and totals are available at DraftKings. I think if you look at UMass and New Mexico, they played New Mexico State. They played last year, 23-13 final, mm-hmm. total of 38-39.5. I think both teams, though, are going to be more prone to going higher scoring. Let me tell you why. UMass brings in Tyson Fomachan. If you remember him, mm-hmm. 6'4", freak athlete, was like a four-star recruit at Clemson. Couldn't catch on there. Transfers to Georgia Tech. Couldn't transfer. Couldn't catch on there. So he's down even further to UMass. I just think raw talent. He's going to be able to move the ball in this New Mexico State team that is returning less than fifty percent of production from last season. Because you mentioned New Mexico State last year. Run, run, run. They wanted to slow this game, slow games down. They wanted to play keep away. New Mexico State's defense graded out damn well last year, especially mm-hmm. if you look at relative to the past few years. This was a team that graded out around the national average and things like success rate, tackles for loss, explosive play rate on defense. So if they're only returning 50% of production from what was the stronger point of the team, I think UMass is going to be able to move the ball a little bit in this one and make this game, make this game, you know, into the higher 40s, into 50s. I think UMass is going to be able to put together three touchdown drives, get you to 21. And then I'm feeling really good about getting over. 45. You mentioned the heat. I think you're going to see the defense is really tapered down the second half. I like Fomachon's upside. And New Mexico State, Diego Pavia, put together a great season by the end for New Mexico State quarterback mm-hmm. um, uh, expectations. Ran for over 500 yards last year. Had a handful of rushing touchdowns. New Mexico State, top 30 in explosive pass rate. Pavia was able to take the top off the defense. UMass's defense, very aggressive. Blitz a lot. Your classic Don Brown scheme. Maybe New Mexico State catches a few. So I think that this game, it's being looked at like last year's game where it was 23-13. I think UMass's offense deserves a little bit of a boost, though, with Fomachan coming in. Again, I'm not going to say they're very good, but I think they could get to 20 against a new-look Aggies defense. So I'll go over there. I lean towards your uh, New Mexico State uh, spread pick, though. I, I lean towards the over as well because I think, like you said, I think you made the perfect point there when you said that People are looking at 23-13 last year, and let's be clear, it was an ugly 23-13. Mm-hmm. It was not pretty. <laughs> and yeah. uh, But 
the, the talent level of UMass has improved. And I think New Mexico State, even though there is turn, turnover on the defense, like I think their defense is going to like have some growing pains. But I think we're looking at pretty much going, I think we're pretty much going to see the same thing from the Aggies that we saw last year. So if you have an improved uh, UMass offense, I think we're just going to see the pace ramped up. I think New Mexico State has the better talent and the better coaching, but I think in the in the end result, like I think we can both hit this pretty comfortably. Yeah, hundred percent. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Maybe the most interesting game on the board, I would say, is Ohio-San Diego State. Two group of five, I'd say, higher-end teams. Kind of in an mm-hmm. interesting week zero match. We got Ohio. Mac runners up last year going all the way across the country to play San Diego State. Cody, we, we spoke about Ohio last week. Curtis Rourke, I, this is a team I loved. Rourke is clear to go off the torn ACL suffered last November. Ohio, I, I haven't seen a soul like San Diego State, but San Diego State now favored by inside of a field goal. You have, we'll call it two and a half, total of 49. I'll give you 49 if you're interested. How are you playing Ohio-San Diego State? Arguably the most interesting game on the board, in my opinion. I agree. I'm I'm fascinated by this game because I like you said, two group of five, I guess contenders is the wrong word, but two high end group of five programs. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I will take the 49 and I will take under the 49 that's available at DraftKings. Um like I'm big on Ohio. I took their over win total in last week's show. Um I love Curtis Rourke. I think this is a program that is just built really well to compete at group at the group of five level. Um, what I don't particularly like is a, it's another travel. Um, they're having to try, they're having to travel to San Diego state. That's a long way away from Ohio. Um, (laughs) the other thing that I'm, uh, that I am worried about is I think Ohio, even with Curtis Rourke is going to look to try to run the ball. And I'm not particularly confident in their offensive lines ability to move the ball. And we know that's going to play right into San Diego state's hands because San Diego state, uh, under Dutcher is, uh, not what we'd call fast-paced. Uh, they want to beat you into submission. They want to run the ball. They have for years, and then they want to play good defense. And so I think with Curtis Rourke, his first game back coming off of the ACL injury, I'm worried about the explosiveness of the Ohio passing game. I think they may have a hard time running the ball. Uh, the talent of my respect for Curtis Rourke in the Ohio program is why I'm not touching the spread in this game. But I do think that we're going to see a low total in this game because that's how San Diego State wants to play. And I think in the way I'm seeing this game and my concerns about Rourke coming back from the injury and what that could do to the offense, um, I think under 49 is a pretty good total to get. Yeah. Um, I, I You mentioned concerns about Ohio Rourke, his first game back. I just I, – I keep coming back to the San Diego State side. I, I think, I, first of all, I Rourke is great. This offense was great. Wigslaws is back at wide receiver. Bagora at running running back, a thousand yard rusher last year. They returned a bunch from the offensive line. This offense graded as a top fifty unit nationally. They also played in the MAC, though, arguably mm-hmm. the worst conference in college football. So I do think we need to look at this a little bit differently. While Ohio had an elite offense, 
they played a really, really favorable strength of schedule. They're now going across the country with a quarterback who, at the very least, was limited for most of training camp. I mean, I just, again, he tore his ACL in November. This wasn't like mm-hmm. he was out the entire year. He's had 12 months to recover. It might take him a little bit. And he's facing a San Diego State defense that has historically ranked inside the top 30 nationally. You look at last year's number, 23rd in success rate, 17th in EPA per play. This was an elite San Diego State defense. So the question is, can San Diego State score on this off uh, on this Ohio defense? I got news for you. Ohio's defense, outside the top 100 in success rate, 81st in EPA per play. And again, this is against a max schedule. So did Ohio really bump up their record and their stats against an easy schedule? Potentially. Again, I'm not saying San Diego State is some world beater here, but the home team with a loaded defense, I think the offense can only go up with Jalen Maiden, quarterback. This was a converted safety from Mississippi State. Comes in last year midseason, plays quarterback. Comes out pretty hot, Look like looks good mm-hmm. early on. I think the Mountain West defense, though, caught on to him. This is a new offensive scheme. Quarterback coach Ryan Lindley takes over former Aztecs quarterback. He takes over. Uh, this was a gross offense. I'm not going to tell you it was any good. Outside top 100 across the board and things like success rate, EPA per play, yards per carry. But, again, I just think the bottom's been out. It can't be worse. So if Maiden could take a few steps forward against a pretty piss-poor defense, and you're telling me Ohio – is better than San Diego State on a neutral on a neutral field. Straight off, this Ohio team is better. I just struggle to see that in Week Zero with a quarterback coming off a torn ACL. I just think inside of a field goal, the the, the market's gone on Ohio. I just you can't back Ohio anymore. Low total, so I think this game lands San Diego State by three a lot. So getting that three and a half three that was in the market, total good bet. Agree with you. I think inside of three now, it's time to play on the Aztecs. I like I said, I agree with you. And the point you made about the Mac, I mean, that's a that's the impetus for why I have the Ohio over. The Mac's terrible. The yeah. Mac is a, in terms of its depth is absolutely atrocious. And Ohio in the Mac looks like a juggernaut. But when they they have if I remember this correctly, they have not won an out of conference game since 2018. I don't and, have that number up in front of me, but that very well could be correct. They're and, rarely in competitive games. Exactly. And I mean, I understand it's another group of five program, but San Diego State is great in the Mountain West, which is a better conference at dictating the style of play. And so I think like everything we've covered, like I, I would probably lean San Diego State minus two and a half as well, but it would feel disingenuous to pick that out a week after uh, picking the Ohio over. So I found another angle to go with. (laughs) That's totally fair. And both things can hit even in a loss could hit. Let's talk Hawaii Vanderbilt. This was a game last year. I remember it very fondly because it was Vanderbilt going to Honolulu and Vanderbilt was laying like seven and a half, eight points. And I couldn't understand why Hawaii complete do over under Timmy Chang, max exodus of talent, leaving the program and Vanderbilt absolutely whooped Hawaii. 63 to 10 was the final. The two meet again, this time in Nashville spread sitting at Vanderbilt favored by 17 and a half total of 55 and a half. So changing expectation. Vanderbilt had a great year last year, finished with wins over Florida and the like in the sec went over their win total. Things are looking up for the doors. You're betting Vandy over win total. I I think we could agree. Vanderbilt's going to win this game. Can they win by this much though? Very uh, 
non-common position for Vandy being expected to win by more than two touchdowns. Cody, how do you figure Vanderbilt Hawaii? So I am worried about the 17 and a half number because it's Vanderbilt and 17 and a half is massive. So I'm (laughs) getting a little cheeky with this. Uh, I'm going Vanderbilt first half minus nine and a half. And Uh I love that play a lot because a, I don't think, um, like you said, the mass exodus of talent when Timmy Chang hit the reset, they're still not recovered from that. The Rainbow Warriors are uh, – they're still struggling. I think it's going to be another tough year for Hawaii. And, I mean, Vanderbilt brings back a lot of production. They've added more talent. Like I mentioned last week, Cedric Alexander's a freshman running back, a three-star, but he is extremely explosive. And I think – and this is another game, travel. Hawaii's coming from the island. They have a lot on their mind. I mean, I don't want to bring this into it, but the the fires in Maui, like that's going to be on every one of those players' mind because that's close to home. And now they're having to travel, what, eight hours across, like from the island to Nashville, Tennessee. And they get to play in a stadium where the end zones are still under construction. And uh, I think that Vanderbilt just has a talent advantage, which is not something you can say too terribly often. Um, And I think they jump on them. And then I think they probably coast to the end of the game. Like I think they jump out to a big lead early and just coast to the end, which is why I'm taking the first half spread and why the 17 and a half scares me. But I think asking them to win by a touchdown and a field goal in the first half, I think that's easily doable for the talent advantage I see. Something to note from last season, Hawaii, I think they got left for dead, like like by the public, by college football fans, because of like how ugly it was early on. The team played through the end of the season. I mean, they covered seven of the last eight games to finish the season. That includes outright win over UNLV. They beat a rebuilding Nevada team. So, I think long-term Hawaii isn't as worse off as we think it is. Like, mm-hmm. listen, last year we went into it. We were like, oh, like, we don't really know what's going to happen. Then everyone was like, oh, wait, they're going to be really bad. And <laughs> they're not great by any means, but nah. the team played hard through the end of the year. So that's what gives me a little bit of pause, kind of laying the points full game with a Vanderbilt team that's very rarely in that expectation to win by 17-plus points. It's just a it's a weird setup in this game. That being said, Vanderbilt is likely going to destroy this Hawaii team. The team is simply devoid of weapons on the offensive side. One guy that I will mention is Hines, the 5'7 jitterbug running back. I think he can maybe rip off a few plays. This was a Vanderbilt team that was outside top 100 explosive play rate. Granted, they're playing an SEC schedule and they're still the worst team in the SEC. So that probably played a role in it. But maybe Hawaii rips off a few, especially in garbage time that makes this spread a little bit more nervy than it needs to be. My play, though, is on the Vanderbilt team total over 36 and a half. Again, I'm just going to bring this up. They scored 63 points last year <laughs> against Hawaii. Um, this Hawaii defense simply lacks the athleticism and the size that Vanderbilt has. I mean, again, this might be the worst team in the SEC. It probably is, but they still recruit at a low-level SEC level. That is still power five level. They have 300 pounders on the offensive line. They are going to move the Rainbow Warriors backwards, and they are going to run. You mentioned Alexander at running back. They have Cleveland and McGowan at wide receiver. A.J. Swain put together a really nice season. He, I believe, played in this game last year, but was in like the second-half mop-up duty. Mm-hmm. This is his team now. 11-2 to touchdown interception ratio. He led to wins you know, on the road against Northern Illinois, played in uh, SEC play already. So he has hit game experience. He played majority of the season last year. I don't see a reason why Vanderbilt isn't going to run up and down the field on this team. 
I think that I lean towards the game over, but I guess there's a world where Vanderbilt like really kind of squashes them. Clark Lee, a defensive mind to begin with. Maybe he does squash them and it's like 45, nothing like I, that's in the realm of possibility. So I'd rather go for the Vandy team total over rather than the game over, just because I think maybe things go sideways. If I had to play it, I'd go game over also, but I just think I'm going to minimize some exposure here. Cause I don't, really know what the final score is like i don't have like a strong inclination i just am confident vandy scoring and pretty much at will yeah i completely agree with that i mean that's what we saw last year and like you said hawaii's improved but like it was one explosive play after another no matter who Mm -hmm. was a quarterback for vanderbilt like they were just they were moving the ball at will and you know one of the things i've said about vanderbilt previously not on this show but just in previous instances is they get the short end of the stick because they play in the SEC in terms of public perception. But if they were a group of five team, they'd be a bowl team every single year. Mm-hmm. They have like, like you said, low level SEC talent and this, they recruited a decent level. It's improved under Clark Lee too. And I just, I don't see any way that Hawaii has answers for them. So I love the team total, especially at almost half of what they scored last year. Yeah. So, like, the offense is the offense should be better than last year. Exactly. It should be. Swain is a he has some upside uh coming in here for a full season. So I think Vanderbilt, we, we see eye to eye, but I think we both can agree though. We don't really want to be involved. Like we want to turn this game off. We don't we don't want to, you know, yeah. be as involved late in this game because it might be a little hairy getting in this cover. Another team we're gonna talk about, maybe in a similar light, USC taking on San Jose State, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Caleb Williams comes back with a host of new toys to play with Marshawn Lloyd from USC or from the other USC, South Carolina, right. uh, Dorian Singer from Arizona. Uh, Mario Williams is back. Washington's back offensive line. Maybe a few key guys leave, but still, I mean, they're going to absolutely overwhelm the San Jose state team. San Jose state brings back their quarterback, Siobhan Cordero, former Hawaii quarterback. And something to note, San Jose state's offense was expected to take a step forward, bringing back their entire offensive line. I mean, they started two true freshmen last year, but they lose their number one receiver, essentially in a thousand yard guy, uh, veteran Elijah Cooks, their number two guy. And it was clearly just them. These two Lockhart hasn't been seen at practice uh, this week, which is obviously very concerning uh, game on Saturday, maybe leans towards not playing last. I saw hasn't been practicing. So we'll see. The defense loses a ton. The offense brings back a good portion. The defense loses their top two pass rushers in Fiaco, who's uh, was a fourth round pick, and Kate Hall as well. So this defense really going to be up against it to begin with. With USC, they're also transitioning in a lot of new faces to really take on big roles. Cody, is this going to be a bloodbath? Absolutely, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be pretty ugly. And I but. I, my play for this game is also another first half play because I think it's going to be ugly early and another one that you can probably just turn off if you have the Pac-12 network. Uh, shouts to what killed the conference. Um, <laughs> but I have USC first half minus 18. Um, I, I Like you said, you basically made a lot of my points right there, but the turnover on this San Jose State defense uh, against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner who – I would argue in terms of totality has a better group of weapons around him. And you mentioned the USC offensive line. 
They also uh, they took in three transfers that are expected to start, not the least of which is uh, Michael Tarkin from Florida. He was going to be a starter at Florida. Now he's at USC. I think the offensive line at USC is going to be improved, and so they're just going to bully them. And then they also have explosive playmakers everywhere. I mean, if USC scored 42 in the first half, would not surprise me. And then you brought up Cordero for San Jose State. I watched a lot of San Jose State games last year, more than I'm proud of, honestly, just being up late. CBS I'm proud of you. Are you kidding me? That's like the – I'm so proud of you. That's what it should be. That's how – we love watching San Jose State. Go Spartans. Exactly. Well, not go Spartans watching them and especially not betting on them last year because Cordero was extremely frustrating. He would have moments where you're like, oh, man, that's a playmaker, and then he would just make some mind-boggling throws. I think this USC defense, I know you crapped on them all year last year. I kept up with that, and rightfully so, to be very clear. But they are improved talent-wise, and I think they're just going to overwhelm San Jose State, not just on offense, but on both sides of the ball. And so I think it's another game where I'm scared of a large overall spread at 30-and-a-half because I think we could see a second half where they're just coasting, like – if we saw Malachi Nelson in this game for the first time, would not be surprised. Um, I think it's just going to be a bloodbath, and I think it happens early. Yeah, I agree with you. All points, especially. I mean, if Sam, I, I was tinkering with this game. Uh, if Lockhart was playing, you know, at least they have a proven receiver. I kind of like San Jose State to just stay within 30, but he, I, this is just a guess. I have a feeling he's not going to play, um, just not practicing this week. I took the under as my bet, under 66 and a half. Uh, they're going to destroy them, and I question how many points San Jose State is going to get in here. Something I also, just watching so much USC last year, they didn't play very fast. I went back and looked. They graded out 84th in plays per minute, new clock. Obviously, um, USC is going to get theirs. I, I heard the stat last night. Explosive play, of so a play of 20-plus, Mm-hmm. Once every six play, once every six plays last season. I mean, just absolutely egregious. Absurd. Yeah. I just wonder. I know it is a new San Jose State defense, a lot of new faces coming in. I just wonder if USC is gonna be playing fast enough and with enough pace to get this total at 66 and a half. This is a, a big total to get to. I wonder how many drives USC is gonna have. Cause I mean, last year, again, they did have chunk plays, but like USC was regularly marches of like six seven yards like even you know usc it would be like third and four caleb williams kind of just plunge forward twice get the first down reset the sticks and you know then the offense would move but i wonder if you're going to see enough possessions to get this total into the 70s so i don't feel that confident about it a lot of moving pieces i lean towards the under but i can't fault you for laying it with usc specifically in the first half and to your underplay, one thing I was looking at last year and that I had actually forgotten about, but I remembered as soon as I looked it up, but in their opener last year, they beat uh, Rice 66 to 14. But that was when USC was having that like unsustainable turnover luck where they were mm-hmm. just like any any 50-50 ball, it was theirs and they were taking it to the house or giving Caleb Williams like a 20-yard field. And banking on that to happen again is not not something that you should do even with an improved USC defense even against an, a clearly inferior opponent and so i think that if we we both agree that san jose state might have trouble scoring in this game if there's not that insane turnover luck then 66 and a half is a big ask so i i'm i'm with you i lean to the over as well um but i like like i said i think in the first half it's just a bloodbath so yeah i just 
And you meant, I mean, 66-14, obviously that's 80 points, and USC basically got this total on their own. But like you said, I want—I wish I could pull up the box score really fast, but, uh, you know, USC short fields. Cordero is a bit of a, a roller coaster himself going, you know, you never know what you're going to get from him. Maybe there are a few turnovers there. I just, I don't know. I just, it's a big ask here again, 66 and a half. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, like I said, I lean that way. Like even with Cordero, like he is turnover prone, but at the same time, I think he's going to be under so much duress from the physicality that USC's defensive line with guys like Bear Alexander, like that's a place they really targeted in the transfer portal. Um, I think that he's going to be under so much duress that he won't actually have a lot of opportunities to th- uh, commit turnovers because he's either going to be running for his life or taking a sack. So, hundred <laughs> percent. And I think also helping my under. Uh, USC's defense was so bad last year. I ragged on them all season last year. If you uh, kept up with my work, um, you know, bottom 10 in things like EPA per play and stuff, they just got really lucky on turnovers. I could see USC really trying to make a point home and really try and beat up on an inferior opponent and say like, like if this game is late, I could see Alex Grinch keeping in some of the higher end players and saying, we want to shut out or we want to look, keep them out of the end zone. We want to like, we want to set a tone that like, Hey, we're shutting opponents out. We're really that much better on defense. So I could see that possibly dripping into this game. So again, under 66 and a half, Cody's going with USC first half minus 18. Final game here, Florida International, Louisiana Tech. These two conference USA foes meet again after a thrilling double overtime win for the Panthers last yes. year. Uh, Louisiana Tech, snake bitten by injuries last year. A lot of different quarterbacks coming in, including this game. Again, Louisiana Tech, though, bringing a new quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, coming in from Boise State. Year two of the air raid offense under Sonny Cumbie. There's some weapons here on offense that hopefully, you know, you look at Smoke Harris, you look at Cyrus Allen, uh, running back Crosby will is on track not to play in this game. But with Bachmeyer here, year two of the offensive system, I think it can only go up from here. The offensive line was terrible last year. I think new scheme, though. I could see Louisiana Tech taking a bump up. FIU rated as one of the worst teams in the entire country. They were very aggressive last year, ran the 12th most fourth down plays last year. So an aggressive te- two aggressive teams that are going to play fast, each inside the top 50 in terms of plays per minute. Cody, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I mean, based on the pace and then also definitely based on Botmeyer, I'm taking uh, the Louisiana uh, Tech team total over 34 and a half on DraftKings. Um, this is going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be exactly like it was last year. Not exactly like it was last year, but um, the same type of pace. And like you said, FIU is one of the worst teams in college football. And I think that really comes down to the defense. That's what we saw last year. They couldn't stop anyone. They could, they could not stop anyone. And the fact that Louisiana tech only scored 34 last year was due to what you were talking about with the inconsistency with that quarterback. Like, they could not find their guy. They got injured. And, like, I think Hank Bachmeyer, he's not, you know, a world-class talent by any stretch of the imagination, but he's an experienced player in the Mountain West. He's coming to an inferior conference and playing against one of the worst defenses in the country and in the conference. And I think when you're running that air raid system against the defense that the only thing FIU can do even moderately well, in my opinion, on defense is rush the passer, but you're getting the ball out quickly in the air raid. That secondary is not going to have a chance to do anything. I think they move the ball at will. 34 and a half, give me five touchdowns and we're there. Yeah, uh, we see eye to eye in this one. I took the over in the game. I 
you know, thinking about it, I think Louisiana Tech probably does the heavy lifting in this one. Don't feel comfortable laying double digits with them in the first game. I will say, though, I think we're going to see a big jump from this offense. I mean, the offensive line was really terrible last year. But again, I'm going to mm-hmm. attribute that to changing quarterbacks, a lot of injuries, new system. I think Bachmeyer really raises the floor of this offense. The defense, I'm not as confident in. I mean, allowed over six yards of carry. Uh was 128th in explosive rush rate allowed. There's only 131 FBS teams last year. 101st in explosive pass rate. I think FIU is going to be able to keep up on offense. They bring back their quarterback, Grayson James. Not very good, but there's some continuity there. The offensive line was a strong point of FIU last year. Only allowed 18 sacks. Uh, top 25 in the country. So this Louisiana Tech team that didn't get in the backfield at all. 16 total sacks last year. 123rd in the country. So I think... FIU with their aggressive play calling from head coach McIntyre as well. Like I said, 12th and fourth down attempts last year. So I think if they fall behind, they're going to be going for it a lot. They want to stay in. They know that they're at a talent disadvantage here. They are going to want to go for it, try and like get the variance in their favor. If it doesn't work though, all of a sudden a, a really explosive Louisiana tech offense has a few short fields could get a few easy touchdowns there. So I'm going to go over 58 and a half. I'm not too concerned about the new clock here. I think that, You're going to see both Louisiana Tech probably get over their team total. But I think FIU is going to be right behind them getting into the mid to high 20s, maybe even the 30s. So uh, over for me in this game, I lean towards Louisiana Tech. I'm just not comfortable taking a team in a conference game week zero (laughs) to cover a double digit spread. There it is. Completely with you on the. I know I was going to say I'm completely with you on the spread. I looked at it and I was like, absolutely not double digits and like you said, a conference week zero game. Absolutely not, especially between two teams with awful defenses. Like, Mm -hmm. there's going to be points. I think targeting overs in any way that you see fit is the right way to go. So I I like over 58 and a half. I like obviously the Louisiana Tech team total. So yeah, I double digit spread in a game that's that could be a shootout. Like. You get one touchdown against a bad defense that could ruin the eleven spread. So yeah, I'm I'm with points. That's where I'm going in this game. Points. <laughs> yeah, points. Point. We're we're looking at it differently, but we agree on the same. Both those spreads available at DraftKings. All right, let's wrap this up here. We just went through all seven games. Your favorite bet of those seven we outlined, Cody, is it is the Ohio San Diego State under forty nine. Um, we saw I. San Diego State unders by the end of last season were getting to ridiculously almost like service academy levels of of totals being set because of the way Dutcher wanted to play football. He wanted to control pace, and by control pace, I mean slow everything down. They have one of the best defenses in the country, so that's a great way to play, uh, or in the group of five, I should say. And so, and in the country as well, they ranked highly as well. But um, and I think, like I said previously, with Ohio's uncertainty at quarterback, with Curtis Rourke coming back. Rusty making a lot of travel. I think San Diego State is going to be able to control the game and do that exactly that exact same thing again that drove those totals down close to the 30s. And so I think that when you have that and then you have a San Diego State offense who, uh, frankly, I'm still just not that confident in being able to put a lot of points no matter what Ohio's defense looks like. uh, I think under 49 is a great bet. Yeah. And for me, I'm going to Dublin. The first game, of the college football season. I'm going to take the three touchdowns with Navy. Navy plus 21. I just think way too many moving parts here with Sam Hartman transitioning schemes with a new offensive coordinator. Navy, I don't think there's that much of a downgrade. 
from Ken Nimatolo leaving, I think Notre Dame being Hartman and his impact. I just don't know if you're going to see that impact in week zero. Obviously, also playing in Dublin, I just think that this isn't like a super good slam spot for the Irish. So I'm going to take the three touchdowns with Navy. You can follow him on Twitter at the Sizzle 20. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallet. This is the Stacking the Box college football show. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoy your bets. Hope you enjoy week zero. Screw anyone who tells you that this week sucks. It's going to be absolutely epic. We will see you next week, same time for our week one betting preview. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.